You're listening to the The Nothing But The Tooth Dentistry Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the Nothing But The Tooth Podcast. My name is Shane Simmons, and I am a digital marketer who works with dental practices. Uh, My company is SS Consulting, and the reason that I decided to start this podcast was to be able to answer some questions that you know come up time and time again as I'm working with clients, but also as a way to just educate myself as well and, and get it more into the clinical side of things from a dental perspective. And what you're going to find in these different podcast episodes is things from you know clinical standpoints on placing implants, placing bridges, different tips and tricks that dentists have learned all across the world, all across the country. But also, we're going to learn a lot about leadership. We're going to learn about marketing, about growing your practice so that you can ultimately thrive wherever you are and you can constantly be learning because a person who is learning is growing and I believe strongly in that and I'm really excited about a lot of the guests that we have coming onto the podcast and our very first guest on the Nothing But The Tooth podcast is Paul Goodman, and I'm really excited to introduce you to Paul Goodman if you're not already aware of who he is. Paul Goodman is known um, from one of many things he's known for is uh, his expertise in dental implants and placing implants and talking to patients about implants and really just educating them and helping them make a great informed decision and, and building trust. And I think that's something that we can all we can all really learn from. Uh, on top of Paul's um, expertise in implants, he owns his own practice, but he also uh, is a consultant. He lectures on implants and he has some different courses coming up, which he'll mention later on in the podcast. And he's also the admin of the Dental Nachos Facebook group. So if you're not a member of the Dental Nachos Facebook group, you definitely have to check that out. Uh, Other than that, though, let's get right into the interview with Paul. I think you're going to learn a lot of great information about implants, if you're not placing implants, how you can start, where do you start, and ultimately how to grow your practice using this uh, outstanding service. Take a listen. Paul, first thing we you know, would love to do before we hop right in is just tell us a little bit. I know you teach you know, with implants and you have a lot of history there. Tell us a little bit about you and kind of where you're coming from. Thanks for having me, Shane. Happy to be here. I wear a number of different hats in the dental world. I really enjoy doing that. I like to say that uh, I work with uh, dentists as much as I work with patients. I had the unique opportunity. You know, I'm uh, 40 years old, so I don't know if that's considered uh, young or old now. I know I'm, I know I'm older than you, uh, Shane. But in um, 2002, when I finished dental school, I went to a general practice residency in Philadelphia called Albert Einstein, and I was super lucky to get involved with that program because uh, they're very pro implant for the general practice resident. It's you know that place. To me, is everything that uh, everything right about dentistry. We had specialists, we had general dentists, all there to teach and learn. So, in that program, the general practice residents. Now, this is back in 2002, so 15 years ago. Uh, we're learning how to place implants, and that was pretty, you know, bold at the time. At the time, very few general dentists were involved with implants. We thought it should only be for specialists. So, I really was lucky to be able to learn in that environment. And the unique thing about Einstein is they had a chief residency program and the program director and I became very close. He was a general dentist and he really um, 
catalyzed me to place like 50 implants my chief residency year. And I had an opportunity to stay as an implant fellow or a hospital fellow and place about another hundred implants. So in, you know, three years I had a really cool implant experience in placing and restoring 150 implants at a really young age. I actually graduated from dental school at 24. So 24 to 27, I got to do that and not many people had that opportunity. So I felt very lucky, but I loved implants. I loved everything about them. My brain, the way my brain works is that, you know, general dentistry to me, crowns, fillings, uh, dentures, it's kind of like full contact arts and crafts. Um, you don't really know what's going to be predictable all the time. Sometimes crowns last for two years. Sometimes crowns last for 20 years. It's sort of making a one-time sculpture in the patient's mouth. So for the way my brain works, I love the predictability of implants. It's parts and pieces. It's building something from scratch. So when I left uh, my, the general practice residency with that implant experience, I brought it uh, to our family dental practice in a small town in New Jersey. And that was the challenging part. How are you going to incorporate all the things you learned into, you know, a general dental practice with my dad and my dad's partner? And, at the, you know, thinking back, you know, 2002 to 2005, you know, nowadays implants are everywhere. There's multiple implant companies. We can talk a little about implant companies. But back then, there's only basically three implant companies, big ones, Strauman, Nobel, and 3i. And I was in now in the real world of private practice, you know, placing and restoring implants inside of a general practice. So it was a, it's a real, it's difficult to learn a new skill and incorporate in private practice. I give any general dentist out there credit listening who learns anything new in private practice, whether it's sleep apnea devices, veneers, because in a residency program, you're in this sort of protected environment where people are helping you. The patients know they're there as a learning project. The work is done very well, but they know it's not private practice. Then you move into a private practice and it's, it's not quite as easy. Yeah, no, and you bring that up, it can be a little intimidating, overwhelming at first, learning these new skills. Going back to specifically implants and, and learning about those, where does the, the general dentist who wants to add this service to their practice, who wants to you know add the skill set under their belt, where do you even start? What do you recommend? And tell us kind of like how the, the evolution of the, the, the dentist who starts out um, wanting to know more about implants to the point to where they get to where they're placing them regularly. A few things. So for your, for your listeners, if you're a general dentist, you're thinking, I do I want to get involved with placing implants. I'm not sure. I'd like to explore it. Uh, number one, you got to get comfortable doing extractions. It doesn't mean you have to extract impacted wisdom teeth. It doesn't mean you have to do every single extraction that comes your way, but extracting teeth is the foundation of doing dental implants. And because you know, you're removing a tooth, sometimes you're suturing. Uh, nowadays, most extractions done in our practice, if not all, have bone grafting plates at the time of extraction and preparation for a dental implant. So the first two skills that you're gonna need are you know, being able to extract teeth and being able to suture. And to me, that's something that a lot of general dentists, understandably, can shy away from because extractions can be unpredictable in terms of how long they're gonna take in your practice. You know, Many dentists, throw themselves behind because a you know, tough extraction came in and they work on it for an hour and a half when they thought it was only going to take a half hour. So getting comfortable extracting teeth, taking out more teeth, learning how difficult extractions are, uh, placing bone grafting material at the time of extraction, and those are really the skills you're going to need. Additionally, flap reflection. So it doesn't mean that you have to make 
a flap that exposes, you know, 10 millimeters of bone in each direction, but you're going to have to be comfortable reflecting a simple flap, uh, suturing the patient back together and working with bone. So that's, that's my first recommendation is to, you know, kind of embrace extractions again. If you're out there doing extractions all the time, so I know many dentists are extracting teeth on a regular basis, that's more than half the battle because, you know, you're learning what you need to do to start your dental implant journey as a general dentist. Yeah. And then, and from there, you know, it's, that's the first step. And I think that is, you know, very important what you're talking about. Say, you know, you are familiar, you, you're always, you know, you're doing a lot of extractions. You feel confident in that. Then what's the next step? Where, where do you go from there? Perfect. So then, I mean, what, what's interesting about implant dentistry, it's, it's taken a, an interesting path. Some of the first inventors of dental implants were actually in the general dental world, but for a while, only, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware, but initially only oral surgeons were allowed to place implants. Then a group of periodontists got together. They said, that's no fair. We want to place implants. And now, you know, basically, there, you know, implantology is not a specific specialty, which I think is a, is a positive thing. You know, it's, it's not, it's not a discipline of dentistry that only general dentists, only uh, Perinos, only oral surgeons, only prosthodontists can do. But now you need to learn the nuts and bolts of the implant system. But what I I've done and I've talked about for years. This is going back to Dental Town. I put a post that you know basically placing a dental implant is no different than placing a giant post and core. And maybe he'll listen to your podcast. But there's a dentist out there, Dr. August de Oliveira, who read that post, loved it, and he got so involved with implants, he's written multiple books on it. One is Implants Made Easy. And he has far surpassed my implant experience. But one thing for your listeners to think about is the process of placing a dental implant drilling a hole in the bone, usually you don't say hole in the bone to the patient, but you know, for your dental listeners, you drill a hole in the bone and you put in a giant titanium post is something that is really within the general dental skill set. So that's something positive and something, you know, your listeners should think, hey, if I can do a post in a tooth, I can just do a giant post in the bone. From that point, I mean, you know, you're going up to, um, you know, from an education standpoint, what is the timeline like there from, you know, learning, learning that process from, you know, theory and watching others do it to actual application? What, what should that timeline look like typically? Great question. That's where things can become, you know, difficult for someone in private practice. Where are they going to learn to do this? How are they going to be supported? How can they do it responsibly? Because we're working on people. So it's, it's difficult to be a dentist because, if everyone in private practice never tried anything new, the field would never get better, right? So if you only did everything you learned in dental school, you would you know, not do anything new in your career, and that's a problem. However, if you're the patient, Shane, if I said, hey, I'm going to do my first XYZ procedure, do you want to be that patient? Uh, do you want to sign up for that? No. <laughs> it's tough, right? It's tough, but you want medicine and dentistry to get better, don't you? Right. So somebody's got to be that person. But what I try to teach, you know, what I, I had a really unique experience. One of my mentors, Dr. Alex Cho, super, superhero dentist, paraprosthodontist in uh, PA. In 2007, he called me and he said, you know, I'm teaching this implant course with this company, Hyacin from Korea. We're going to teach general dentists to place implants. Do you want to be involved? I said, 100%. I want to be involved. I'm, I'm in. And in Korea, general dentists and other countries, especially, you know, Korea, General dentists do far more in their practices than what they do here in America. Some of that's good, some of it's not so good, but there's a very competitive environment. And this uh, dentist, Dr. Choi, invented the Hyacin, at the time it was Ostim implant system. It was essentially a clone of three different types of implants, Astra, uh, Branamark, and Strauman. 
And he invented this system. He said, I got to train the dentist to use it. I like to think this was for two reasons. One, I like to think that, you know, he wanted the dentist to do a good job, right? But you're a marketing person and business person, Shane. Why do you think he wanted to train the general dentist how to use his kit and system? Well, of course, they make more money. Everybody makes more money and helps more people. Buy more of the implants, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. if I, you know, we all need we, implants, you know, we all need, you know, consumables in our house and our practice. So he knew that he could get train these dentists to do it. So the, the cool part about it was they'd have these, you know, expert implant people or experienced people teaching novices and they would get to do it on patients. So I love this course. It's, it was usually five or six days. We do hands-on model work with suturing and practicing drilling. But the cool part about the highest in AIC course, which I've now taught for uh, over you know, about 10 years, I feel like I, I taught maybe 40 courses, hundreds of general dentists to place their first implant, is they get to bring a patient and we get to watch them over the shoulder and supervise them, place their first implant. And that's super powerful because it's like, you know, you're very confident when you have, you know, a more experienced dentist looking over your shoulder. And even if you just do one implant, I have, I have, there's many dentists out there, you know, Dr. Matt Costa, my friend, Dr. Greg Fink, Dr. Gary Klein, many of the people posting on these boards came to my implant course and placed their first implant with me. And now they have done hundreds of implants. Uh, The other thing we teach is really how to be responsible, how to select cases. So I I liken this to driving. Uh, Where where do you live, Shane? Uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. Okay. So what is the uh, most nerve wracking road to drive on out there? Uh, I-465. So in Philadelphia, it's I-76. Route 76 is called the Schuylkill Expressway. Some people call it the Shorekill Expressway. So that's how dangerous it is. So this is what I say in my first course, and I talk to Dennis about learning. So all of us learned to drive, and all of us had to have someone teach us. And the person teaching us, uh, that's probably a nerve-wracking experience for them, right? Because they think, all right, I got a new driver in the car. I'm in the car. I hope this goes okay, right? That, that's what the brake on the other side's for, right? <laughs> you know, we had to have our parents or, or aunts or uncles or older brothers and sisters. We didn't have the brakes, right? Like when I, I we had in New, in New Jersey the learner's permit. I remember I drive with my brother. And, you know, you can just get the sense when you're in the car with someone who's a new driver that they just don't have the feel of the car. So what you have to do as the instructor, the helper, the person who'd like to stay alive, um, you need to put them in a driving experience where they can not mess up, right? So where did you start out driving? Do you remember where, you know, first time you get in the car, where did they take you? Onto that road that you just mentioned? What was, I, uh, what, what was your road? I- I-465. No way. They wouldn't let me touch that road. I, I, they started me out in a rural area. <laughs> High school parking lot, a shady side street. And then, you know, sometimes you may avoid those roads forever. Those roads could be for specialists. I mean, I, when I lectured in New York with Dr. Cho, I described them as the New York City taxi driver of uh, dental implants, right? Because, you know, they, those guys just seem to, you know, even when it seems dangerous, they seem to be in control. And that's, you know, a perfect comparison to how you want to learn implants and how you want to build your, your foundation of clinical experience. Because here's what happens. If you went out and drove on that road, and you had an instructor who put you in the wrong spot. If you guys both survived, what? How do you think you'd feel about driving a car? Would you want to do it again? Oh no, it'd be that'd be tough. Because what happens is nobody can pay you enough money to feel super uncomfortable in general. So if I said to you, "Hey, Jane, I'll give you a thousand dollars for the next hour," but for the next hour you're going to be sweating bullets, your stomach's going to be in knots, you're going to feel really uncomfortable. Would you take that deal? No. Hey, it's nobody would take it, right? I mean, so we forget that we're people. So if I put my student, you know, my dental 
implant students, they're not students, they're dentists, in the wrong environment, the worst thing that can happen is that they're just not going to want to do it again. And that's why I help them identify cases for the first 25 or 50 cases to keep them, keep them and their patients safe and feeling like, hey, I can do it. And that really is the crawl, walk, run, sprint. That's the figuring out what road to drive on and then just keep building your experience. And sometimes you stop, you know, there's one of the things that I don't really understand is, you know, my, my mentor taught me this and I know you know a lot about dentistry. It's a perfect time to talk about this. These specialists, for some reason, some of them are very forward thinking and some of them have no problem. Others feel there should be some sort of competition or political nature. General dentists shouldn't place implants, but you know the dental field. Do you think there are some general dentists that do some of their own endo and refer the rest? Oh, of course. Is there probably some general dentist who'll see like an easygoing child, but when a five-year-old starts screaming and needs five cavities, might refer them to a pediatric dentist? Right, exactly. You know, Mrs. Smith comes in with a 80% bone loss around a tooth and, you know, a general dentist will take it out, but a 17-year-old with four horizontally impacted wisdom teeth is going to refer to an oral surgeon, right? Mm-hmm. So we have this in every other discipline of dentistry, but for some reason we don't have it with implants and it's holding, I believe it's holding the whole implant industry back because you need to get the general dentist doing the easy to medium cases so they can identify the larger cases to refer to that specialist. And more is going to breed more. So if I was a specialist at this time, I actually, I say this all the time on the Facebook groups, maybe someone will do it or maybe someone does it. The, the most successful specialist out there will open up their office, take five of their top referrals, run a course, and teach those referrals how to place implants. And the amount of implants that would come back to that specialist would be like tenfold. Yeah. And, and I think something I want to add on, on to that, Paul, is that you know the, the dental implants are growing in, in popularity. And I, I had a, a crystal market research pulled up, and it was talking about um, – the dental implant and prosthetics market is expected to grow uh, close to 7% over the next eight years. So this really needs to be a partnership between the specialists, between the general practitioners on, you know, helping one another, referring one another. And it's teamwork at the end of the day, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I also, I'm just a collaborative person in general. It doesn't have to be, you know, we can share. I think dental school ruins dentist personalities. And I understand why, because there's some weird competition in dental school. I mean, dental school, I have a lot of issues with. I mean, nobody doesn't graduate from medical school because their patients didn't come, on, come in with enough gallbladders to take out. But in dental school, you have to do enough requirements on your own patients. And it's just a silly and a lot of ways stupid way to run a, run a program because you know, if my patient needs 10 fillings, and my friend's patient needs two fillings, my friend's behind the eight ball just by dumb luck, right? Because you need to complete a certain amount of procedures on your patients to get out. So I, I have so many issues with this. And I think it creates a problem with dentists not being willing to share because there's enough implants to keep may, as many dentists busy who want to get involved with implants. I mean, the, the, what's holding the dentist back from doing implants is really the dentist. And, you know, a lot of dentists might not like to hear that, but I do these courses on how to talk to your patients about implants. And some of the people who take it, they, they repeat everything I say, and then they go back to their office and their staff says, what happened? Everyone wants implants now. And they just said, well, I just said everything Paul told me to say. And the ones who've embraced that see that there's just you, the amount of implant production and revenue can just explode inside your practice if you just start to put together a framework, a system for how, you know, you're going to make it work inside of your practice. 
And Paul, let's talk a little bit about that system. If you can share a little bit of insight. One of the big questions that I get as a, as a marketer for implants is, you know, how do, how do I close? How do I close more cases? You know, I have the people in the chair. Uh, I have them here. How do I increase that close rate? And, and what do you recommend for that? How do you communicate that with the patient? For, so uh, a few things I'm happy to talk about. I, I have a, maybe you heard me on another podcast, my group. You know, my group is named after food, dental nachos. So, I mean, I love eating out. I was a restaurant server for 10 years. I was, um, I like going out in Philadelphia with all the great restaurants. So every time you sit down at a restaurant, you get a menu and then you get choices and you know what's on that menu. And I thought of making an imp- a, a missing tooth menu, but a lot of times I don't have it laminated for people to look at, but I just, you know, go through a, a process of giving the patient a menu of options, including no treatment. Uh, outline the pros and cons, and I really put make it up to the patient to decide. It sounds easy to do, but many dentists out there want to decide for the patient, and they also let all these things come into play that shouldn't. They they you know prejudge how much money the patient has, how old they are, all different types of things. They say my patients don't want to wait three months for a tooth; they want a bridge. That's just kind of foolish thing to say because you're not inside that patient's brain, and. I just, you know, I've said this on other podcasts, but it, it seemed it seemed to have impact. I have to say on yours is, you know, I just want to give everybody the chance to say no to the best treatment, right? It's only a few minutes of my time. So, you know, we're talking about simpler cases, single tooth posterior implants, which is your starting block, but you're going to build up to being able to do full arch cases and at least talk about them to get them to the right specialist. So, you know, I will no problem talk about doing a $60,000 implant case with a patient. And I'll believe myself, I do believe that it's fully worth that money because it changes the patient's life. And if the patient says, no, thanks, that's not for me. I'll just pick a different option of a removal over denture. And if they say, no, thanks, nothing's for me. I don't want to eat at your implant restaurant. I say, okay, no problem. And, you know, leave as unfriendly terms. So I think the starting point is to talk to every patient about a missing tooth about all of their options. Not to talk about, not to talk to patients with a missing tooth about implants. It's to talk to a patient with a missing tooth about all of their options. What does that do? Psycho- I mean, you know, we're not psychologists, but you know, psychologically, how do you think that that helps the the patient? I mean, there is something to be said about having choices. You brought up the restaurant acronym, which I think was. Uh, really good. It's we like to be able to decide on our own. I mean, what have you heard from your patients and, and why do you think that's worked so well? I mean, I also, I mean, for a couple things, and it's a good point, you know, as a waiter and server, I knew if people spent a lot of time making a decision, I would run behind. So I just sort of got in the vibe of, you know, some people are decision makers. They say, I'm here. I want the grilled cheese. We're done. Right. Other people say, I'm not so sure. Like my wife, eat at, when my wife eats, eats out with me. She loves to ask the server what their favorite meal meal is, and she likes that. So when a patient will, you know, you give the patient the options, and then at some point, and I think it's a it's a fair thing, tell them what you would do if you were in their shoes, but they don't have to do the same thing. So many times, I'll tell a patient what I would do if I were in their shoes, but they choose differently, and that's no problem. Sometimes it's to save a tooth that they don't want to save. Sometimes it's to do an implant because it's it's really based on their personality, and. I think if you, they feel like they have, it's, I mean, a lot of these things are like sort of the consultant, consultancy like talk, but it's shared decision-making with them, you know, this get in trouble and trouble is just a general world, not re- real trouble. Dentists will get patients upset with them when they decide on the treatment and something doesn't go right through nobody's fault, right? You did a bridge, it 
you know, got the K three years later, needs to be extracted. If the patient didn't feel like they chose that bridge, they're going to be annoyed at the dentist. And, and one thing, you know, Paul, as we kind of wrap this up a little bit here, um, it's all about choices. You know, that's what I've really taken away. And I think what our listeners can take away from this particular episode and just kind of wrap this up with, you know, if you want to make two or three final points here, um, what are some things that people can take away today that you feel like, you know, they can start implementing in their practice right away or, you know, in their own, um, in their own lives that can really help them, you know, close more cases. I mean, number one, and I've said this, my best friend in dentistry does not like the sight of blood. He's never going to place an implant. He doesn't like to extract teeth, but I encouraged, persuaded, forced him to take the highest implant course. And he, through my guidance, strong guidance, placed an implant on a person. He did something that he has no intention of ever doing again, but he's thankful because it opened up his eyes to implants. So I actually recommend first that every general dentist out there under the age of 50, maybe even 60, take a course on placing implants, even if they never want to place implants, because then they're going to know what the surgeon goes through. Then they're going to know what the patient goes through. And just that Single experience of placing one implant will be so powerful for them and how they talk about it. Number two is to get their team on board and just, you know, some sort of training, whether it's a webinar, whether it's a book, whether it's go to a course together. And they have to be part of the process too. The assistants, the front desk, the hygienist, they have to be um, invested in the implant journey with you. And three, one course is not going to be enough. So we, we take dentist to placing their first simple implant. And then they, if they want to take more courses, there's more courses out there. There's continuums, people fly to other countries. But like you said, you know, I talk a lot about the business nature of dentistry. I like to look at the industry trends and I look at prep trends in my own practice. And I just think this is realistic. I mean, you're 27 years old, Shane. I don't want to put you on the spot, but have you had uh, 10 root canals and 10 crowns in your own mouth? No, I, I have not. And, I, and I've had some extensive dental work, but no. <laughs> and as, as your family, friends, maybe, you know, spouse, girlfriend, are, are they constantly going to the dentist for root canals, partials, and crowns? Or is that not something they talk about too much? Uh, they, they don't talk about it too much, no. They don't talk about it because they don't need it. So there's a variety of things affecting dentistry. And one, maybe we should be happy. You know, I don't want, I don't want people to suffer misfortune for my own benefit. So it's difficult. You know, I always say there's a lot of, I'll just tell you one quick thing. You know, there's like being a dentist is difficult, right? So it's like, if no one ever needed dental work anymore, it'd be good for them, but then you'd need a new job, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't want to wake up hoping everybody needs a ton of dental work. That's kind of mean, right? So it's, it's an interesting brain you have to possess as a dentist, but people are not going to need as many root canals, fillings, and crowns. But implants for probably the next two decades are going to be a growth area. So you might as well jump on what's growth. Patients like it. Your team likes it. It's profitable. It's sort of fun. It's dentally fun. You know, when people say implants are fun, I, you know, there's a lot of things in life more fun than that. But from a dental perspective, implants are fun. So it's all good. And, you know, I've talked about it. I think it's the area of general dentistry that's open to saving it to some degree if general dentists want to grow the revenue in their practice. Very powerful stuff, Paul. Well, I know that you have a, an implant course coming up here at the beginning of the, the year. You want to just tell us a little bit about that? I mean, I, I love, I teach, you know, small, medium, and large courses. I love teaching. I love lecturing. I love talking about implants. Some of the best courses I like to teach are like 10 to 12 dentists. So I have one on February 10th in Philadelphia. It's super easy intro. It's only like 290 
$25. I saw on the embrazerspace.com. Super nice guy, Chance, Dr. Chance Bodini made me this nice list of my courses. So that's an easy starter course. We have a five-day course with Hyacin in February and March in the Philadelphia area. And one thing I'd love to just talk about because I'm super proud to be doing is I'm bringing, you know, one of dentistry's leading implant and dentist, dental inventors, Dr. Corey Glenn to Philadelphia, March 9th and 10th. And you can put in the show notes, you know, on a dentalnachos.eventzilla.net, you can sign up for that. So if you're in Philadelphia, New Jersey, New York, uh, Delaware, it's really a great opportunity to see just an amazing lecturer in person. Excellent. We'll definitely plug that. And real quick, tell us about the, the Dental Nachos Facebook group because that, that's that's been just an excellent uh, resource for me, I know, just to go to and learn. Yeah, I mean, I Dental Nachos to me, I, I do love nachos. I worked in a Mexican restaurant. We got to eat tortilla chips all the time. I ate a lot of them. I was 19. I had a better metabolism. But I thought nachos is a mixture of a lot of things. I do a lot of different things, transitions, practicing, teaching, implants. And I started it, and uh, it's taken off, and it's awesome. I mean, I never expected – people to be posting pictures of their nachos and sharing it online. And I just think that's super cool. And also I just try to have a group that you can talk about anything respectfully, you know, you can share, uh, try to get people to be, I, I love debating in a, in a respectful manner. You can have disagreements, but Facebook can be challenging. So I try my best to manage it in a positive way. And it's, you know, we have over 4,000 members and it just has been a, a fun thing for me to do. And I'm happy for people like you. I mean, I, I kind of have everybody involved, you know, you could be a hygienist, you could be a dentist, you could be in marketing, you could be the spouse of a dentist if you want. We got dental focused attorneys. So it's kind of a big mix like nachos of dental related people. And so far it's just been a uh, fun thing. Thanks for your contributions and thanks for, uh, you know, being part of it. And that wraps up our interview with Paul Goodman. And we want to thank him for being on the show and opening up this series, which we are really excited about over here. And he shared a lot of valuable information. And I think no, none more other than the fact that at the end of the day, we got to have the patient's best interest in mind and giving patients options. And the trust that that really builds uh, within your practice is just remarkable. And so I think that's one thing you should especially take away from today is be able to give your patients options. And we also want to make sure that we mention one of Paul's courses that's coming up. Uh, you could find out more information about his implant placement course at dentalnachos.eventzilla.net. Again, that's dentalnachos.eventzilla.net. And we'll also have some information in the show notes below. We hope you enjoyed the first podcast, and we are looking forward to hearing from you. And if you have any guest ideas on who you would like to see on the podcast, please let us know. And other than that, be sure to hit subscribe and stay tuned for next week when we're going to talk about steps you could take when buying your own practice. Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe you're buying you know, your second or third practice. But we're going to have Kyle Roth, who is an expert at buying practices and really what to look for when doing so. And he's going to be on the podcast next week. So we're looking forward to hearing from you all and having you uh, tuning in. Otherwise, we'll uh, talk to you next week.